People want to believe. We tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it just isn't easy to understand? This is No God. You're listening to the No God Podcast, and we are jumping into uh, part two as we talk about spiritual, spiritual intimacy. Um, I am here again with my dad and mom, Tony and Sandy. How you guys doing? Good. Yep, doing well. Ready for this one. All right, let's just mm-hmm. dive right in. All right. So in the first uh, part of this podcast, the first podcast on this topic, we were talking about how we want to personally feel close to God and also personally experience that closeness to God. And we realize that in the New Testament, especially as you get to the end of the Gospel of Luke and then moving into the book of Acts, that the the opportunity for this continuing personal relationship for those disciples with Jesus Christ, whom they had personal interaction with as a human being, now as a resurrected human being who is going to who went into heaven, and they continued that relationship with him through their connection by uh, keeping him involved in their life and and re- and being aware of his involvement in their life, even to the point that we shared about the the. Uh, Pharisee Saul having a encounter with Jesus uh, so that Jesus was calling him to a bigger work in his life than just going around trying to stop the church. And so this this emphasis of the early church was that having an intimate and uh, relationship with Jesus is having a relationship with God. So we talked about that a bit and talked about how then that began to be expressed through mainly people praying is the one of the first ways that they do that and one of the big summation ways is that we're just constantly praying constantly aware that that Jesus is going to uh, insert himself into our lives sometimes even when we don't realize it I mean we're saying things that we we know theologically make sense but then do we really believe it when we wake up in the morning that Jesus is there uh, our companion and maybe guiding us in some way that we are totally unaware of. We, we want to have the awareness of that guidance mm-hmm. rather than just accept the fact that by having this relationship with Jesus, he is guiding us many times in an unseen way and sometimes in a very clear, evident way. So we then want to move into this podcast, which is that if we aren't doing this with other believers, we are missing really the big part of it. Even with the definition of, in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 12, where it talks about that the church is the body of Christ. Well, it's not one person is the body of Christ. It is the church, all of the members of the church, members meaning not the small letter M, they are part of the body of Christ. And so, in order for us to have a full experience of drawing near to Jesus, it has to be a drawing near to Jesus as a collective, as a group of people. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we want to kind of talk about. So the book of Acts, again, is our guide. And we are, again, really uh, letting the Antioch Church um, be a great model for us. And so we alluded to a lot in chapter 11 in the first podcast where we get introduced to that church in Antioch. And I thought I'd just have Sandy read a few verses there to kind of get us back into thinking about that as we begin this podcast. 
Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we need to, in fact, I think as a person is reading a Bible, whether it's digitally or on a the good old-fashioned book-type Bible, that we just notice there, the Lord's hand was with them. Yeah. That, that, that's not just like a fluff term. It actually means that Jesus was interacting with them in what they were doing because they were doing something that was extremely important to Jesus. It was fulfilling the words to the apostles. This is, this is really, there's a lot of layers to this. <laughs> in, in Matthew's gospel, at the end of that gospel, we have what we call the Great Commission where the people are gathered together before Jesus ascends into heaven, mm-hmm. the disciples. And he says to them, go and make disciples of all nations. Right. Well, they didn't do it for 10 years. And finally, you have the persecution that, that this passage is talking about. And then you have that, that intense persecution that came because Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, decided he was going to go beyond Jerusalem and stop the spread of Christianity. And then we have the, the story in Acts chapter 10 where Peter is traveling along through talking to Jews, encouraging Jewish believers and creating more believers or you know, leading people to Christ out of the Jewish uh, villages and cities and stuff in modern-day Palestine, Israel. And he ends up coming near to the city of Caesarea. He's not quite there, but he ends up there. And so he is sent by a... He sent a message from the uh, the Roman centurion, Cornelius. It says, hey, I want you to come and share because Cornelius had had a vision of someone coming to him. And so he sent for Peter, and Peter came. And Peter didn't go until he had a vision himself from Jesus that basically said, okay, this is what I was talking about 10 years ago, Peter. <laughs> it doesn't actually say that in the text, but that's the timeline. And so Peter goes and he shares that gospel with Cornelius, but then it's almost like a one and done thing. Cornelius and his household are one to Christ. And then Peter goes back to Jerusalem and, all right, I'm done. And so, but then we immediately <laughs> move back to the story of the persecution. And that's what the passage that Sandy just read to us in Acts chapter 11. It is now some of those people, while Peter did the big deal, like here's Cornelius, he's a Gentile, he's a non-Jewish person, he's a great believer in God, and now he wants to hear the message of Christ. So he becomes a follower of Jesus and an intimate follower of Jesus. And then that's just left there. It's not like that's the start of a church or anything. We don't know that it is. It doesn't say that it is. And then we have a non-apostle, at least non-big capital A apostle, these guys that are even unnamed, who are traveling around, and it specifically tells us that, however, certain men from Cyprus and Cyrene ended up in Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. That is probably one of the most significant 
<laughs> sentences in the whole New Testament. Because they were doing, as a matter of fact, and as a natural part of their life in Jesus, what Jesus wanted the apostles to do that they weren't even still really getting fully. They were struggling with it. Let's just say that. Because then when Peter had the event with Cornelius, Acts, these are two chapters in the book of Acts, 28 chapters. There's two of them that are absorbed in this. Peter and all the process it took for Jesus to get him to go to talk to Cornelius. Mm -hmm. And then they have a whole nother chapter of when Peter goes back to Jerusalem and they wrangle about it for a whole, what we call a chapter, because they go, you went to the home of a Gentile. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So we take for granted this process, but the intimacy of Jesus is he, he comes alongside of and his hand is with those guys who now are finally doing the right thing. And so, again, none of us can judge other people mm-hmm. in this because this is, this is the spiritual realm behind what we see in the physical realm. Although the physical, ap- the physical experience of this is that two men, didn't say two, but men from these two places, Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, and Cyrene, which is a city, and they are fulfilling the call of Jesus. And we don't even know that they're called. They may be. We, I mean, we don't know that, but they're, they're doing it. And it says Jesus' hand was with them because this is right. And so then the, really the emphasis of spreading the gospel, even though it started in Jerusalem, and they even managed to win some in Samaria, which is the next province out. And even Peter then had this, this very clear leading from Jesus to go talk to this Greek slash Roman leader, centurion, and he does become a believer. They go back home and they go, oh, well, that was interesting or whatever. <laughs> you know, or that was like, that was controversial. That's really what I, that I don't have to do that's that That's what again. it was. Yeah, I don't want to do that again because when he got back to his home church, he got chewed on. And he had to defend himself. And he did defend himself well, and we really rely on that. But then it kind of sits there, and we have these two these two groups of guys that are going to Antioch, and then all of a sudden that Antioch church begins to um, just blossom and become fruitful in the third largest city of the Roman Empire. And, they, and we begin to get acquainted with the leaders in that church, and it just says that news of this, so here's the Jerusalem people. So news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. This is still Acts 11. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So that's how Barnabas ends up in Antioch is because the apostles, I mean, you know, it, it, we, this is unfair to them, but I'm going, okay, why, <laughs> why didn't like Peter and John go to up there to Antioch? No, no, let's, let's send Barnabas. That sounds like a good idea. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, but maybe that was explicitly because of Barnabas's giftedness. I mean, and so he arrives. He saw that the grace of what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. And so this is again, we think of that's a description of like personal devotions. Remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. You know, you got to have this quiet time so that you can be close to Jesus. But he's telling this to the whole church that hey, you're doing. You know, you're on. Obviously, you're on the right track. 
And again, it's, there's a descriptor of, of Barnabas there. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so this is Barnabas coming in alongside of them. And then, the, really, we have this gap of, from verse 24 to verse 25, of a lot of years. Because then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So that for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Christians just being like belonging to Christ. And that has been the name ever since. Of course, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of teaching about that. But um, finally, they were on the right track. And Barnabas was part of that. And he went and got Saul, brought him back, and they started that. And then then they, from there, we discover in the last part, and this is kind of an important thing because you have the Antioch church who is now talking to Greeks and what is one of the things that happens in verse 27, very in this chapter 11, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. They say down because they're actually going north. And so for us in our Western thinking and North American thinking, we think of always as if you're talking about going down from someplace, you're going south. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But there it was actually literally uphill or downhill. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, I mean, more useful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. One of them named Agabus, great name for a believer, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one were able, was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. <laughs> the church that shared with them Barnabas, but none of the apostles, they're going to they're gonna share back that direction and they sent their gifts to the elders in Jerusalem by Barnabas and Saul. And that begins this whole connection of Barnabas and Saul. So what happens immediately when people are connecting with Jesus as a group? They become benevolent and generous to people. Now, this makes a wonderful, like, uh, you know, uh, why you should give to the church kind of sermon thing. But really, it is a natural progression of how do I know that I'm having a good experience with Jesus in my church. We, we become more and more generous to people that have needs. And they were aware of this need. And actually, this famine is a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. It lasted years. And it took. And they actually spent, they sent that gift. And then when Saul and Barnabas, eventually Paul and Barnabas, traveled on their first missionary journey and their second missionary journey, they continued to take up offerings for Judea. This is over a span of not quite a decade that they were taking up offerings and taking them back to Jerusalem. Wow. So it was an extended famine wow. in that area. Now, just think back to the book of Exodus or book of Genesis and Exodus. You have, there was the famine in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so God sent Joseph to help provide in this case, all of a sudden there's a famine in the Southern Palestine, Judea area probably even bigger than that. And the churches of the Mediterranean world then are taking offerings year after year to support the the potential starvation of people in that part of the world. And so when we think about, if we're listening to Jesus as a group, then we get these bigger pictures 
I, I, I think that's part of what I want. I feel like it's important for us to understand in this conversation mm-hmm. is that it becomes something bigger than Jesus and me. It even becomes something bigger than Jesus and my church. Right. Right. Yeah. You get a, a, a connection to the larger church, the larger church and just larger creation in general. Right. So the experience, I would suggest that a person deciding, because then you have the, the Apostle Paul does a lot of describing in Second Corinthians about how to take up that offering and how an individual gets involved in this. But he basically says everybody does something, but everybody does something different right. based on their, how, what resources they have. But everybody does it. And so it's like, that is, that is the way of Jesus, is that the greatest and the least in the eyes of people are all equal. They're all, they're all contributing to this great work of kingdom work and this offering and the famine, famine relief becomes that very vivid picture of we're all in this together. Even if I can only give a penny and you can give a million dollars, my contribution is just as significant because this is something that's happening in the spiritual realm Mm -hmm. as well. It is not merely physical relief for starvation. It is that the people in this part of the world care about the people in that part of the world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. So anyway, by the end of the book of Acts, the church is more Gentile than Jewish. The new churches are more Gentile than Jewish. And it's all because of the church in Antioch taking the leadership in this time of of change. And, you know, really, what was the great disruptor? It was two things, a persecution Mm -hmm. and a famine. Hmm. And those did not stop the participation of Jesus in the life of the church. And I think there's strong lessons for today. And and because we, you know, we're recording this podcast on the very last day of July Mm -hmm. in 2020. A year that now is going down in infamy, almost, you know. <laughs> There's so many uh, memes and jokes and whatever and just, uh, you know, laments about 2020. Yeah. But we see it as horrible. <laughs> we want to get things back to normal. And the thing is that the Antioch Church never thought about going back to normal. No. They thought about what is the future. And it was started by unnamed men, and probably women, but unnamed people who as they were traveling and scattering because of a persecution disruptor ended up going, I, I would love to been, I'd love to have seen that, but some of they just go, okay, so here's the Jews. We're going to talk to the Jews. Here's the Greeks. We can talk to them too. And we do. <laughs> and it was already in the template that Jesus had that just nobody else had really embraced it as an everyday thing. Yeah. And so I would suggest that having a, having a mindset that is looking at all people around us as valuable to Jesus and as potential uh, people who could come into relationship with Jesus is what collective experience with Jesus can do for us. And we know that collectively as believers, we pray together, we can worship together, uh, we can um, serve together. We can gather up money together Mm -hmm. and we can send it, you know, so all these things that we do together and all of a sudden we are not 
the disruptors of our time, 2020, which is primarily the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 event, and all of the deaths and the isolations that came from that have been coming from that and still continue. We see it as, man, we just can't wait till this gets over. We finally get a vaccine and we can get back to normal. And I would suggest there is never going back to what was. Let's not go back to normal. Let's do something better. So Mm. let's think about that for a moment, just as we just kind of brainstorm here, kind of move off of the script that I have and think about what does it mean for believers who are now going, you know, we just need to hang out together and pray together, not just simply hang out and have hamburgers or something or whatever. Um, But let's pray together and let's just know that that's an important aspect of how we're going to be do how we're going to be engaged in the future of yeah. what Jesus intends. And it, I know it sounds so simplistic, but it is the primary, the common denominator in most of these stories is that, well, they prayed. Now they might've also been fasting. They might've also been gathering some money, but they always were praying together. And Jesus already taught us the simplicity of prayer. It is just common words about common life circumstances and the needs that we see around us and just the all of the things that are on our mind as a group. And so then how do we pray as a group? And again, we don't really have a great model of that in the book, in the, the book of Acts, like a, you know, like at five minutes you do this and at 10 right. minutes you do this, but I've been involved in a lot of experiences like that, which I realize have can sometimes help people to kind of get past some of the barriers about praying together. But it really is praying together probably means that, more than one person prays. Yeah, yeah. Just guessing. And more than one person prays out loud. Mm-hmm. But it also may be times when we're praying silently in the same space, but about the same thing. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of methods, but I would say at the core of it is praying the words of God and the words of Jesus. Not like a bunch of them at the same time, but just like this right now, if I were going to be, if I were going to be praying about this, what we've been talking about is that I'd be saying, so Jesus, help us to be like these people who for some reason knew from you that your hand was with them as they talked to people that nobody else was willing to talk to. Hmm. What does that mean for us? So through the disruptions, we come together and prayer is always a part of that experience. I think one of the things mm. that's kind of kicking around in my mind is just um, just our our culture is very individual focused, and you know what what are your goals? What do you want to be when you grow up? All of this stuff on yourself. Um, and what we miss is when we're not when we're focused on ourselves, we're not dreaming of what all of us could do. Because there's a lot of things that I can't do. But if I was praying and dreaming of a future with a collective mindset of this person has these skills, this person has this going on, you have a much larger canvas to dream into. (laughs) Right. And trusting the coordination, the... The, the lead, the guidance of Jesus through mm-hmm. his spirit. And again, I would just say that one of the things I know from New Testament reading is that Jesus and Jesus' spirit and the Holy Spirit are pretty much used 
as um, common ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there is a Holy Spirit that's different than the Son of God, but but when they talk about it in the epistles, it's like, well, the Spirit of Jesus. Well, that's also the Holy Spirit. And it's like, so the, the distinctive, that's really where we come back to a true uh, monotheistic thing is that we just realize that the name of the Old Testament, which we use the English word of either Jehovah or Yahweh or some variation of those as the name. Well, the name of God now is just the Father, Jesus. Of course, that's an English form mm-hmm. of the Yeshua, sloppy rendition of the Hebrew, or the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. It's called both. So yeah, I, I think that's right. We have to just take step back and go, uh, my individual solution to something as big as coronavirus is ridiculous to think that we're going to do that. I mean, the amount of research that's going on right now on that mm-hmm. is collective. It's scientists around the world yeah, and in regions and stuff. And I know there's a lot of turf thing going on with that. And that those are barriers. So then if we just kind of step away from that topic and go back to what is what is it that Jesus wants? He still wants people to find life in him. We, we use the term that he wants them to be saved. He wants them to go to heaven. But really, when Jesus talked, he used the thought of, I, have, I am life. I want to give life. Yeah. And that's his... That's why he wanted to give it to both Jews and non-Jewish people. Greeks, as it's said here in this passage. Gen- uh, Gentiles, as it says in other passages. The nations, because Gentiles is just nations. Um, and so we have that, that desire. So as we begin to do that, then we're going to discover that, that Antioch Church was a great model because they just were doing it differently and they were living it differently. To then, we have all the way back to the end of the life of the Apostle John, which we noted in the first podcast of this series, that his gospel is wedged in between <laughs> Luke's gospel and Luke's writing of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. But John, at the end of his life, has two little letters that we've named Second John and Third John, which First John is not that big of a letter in the first place. <laughs> but these are so short that they actually... Don't even aren't there's even, one chapter. Aren't well, yeah, they? they're considered not even a chapter, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's it when you have, when you search it, you have to do chapter one, and it's the only chapter of the thing. And in this, we get this different kind of glimpse about what is on John's heart that is kind of ties into this thing. And this is like John is writing these um, another think of my timeline here really quickly, almost 35, 40 years after this other stuff that we've just been talking about. So this is almost a whole other generation later. And John yeah. lived a long life. And the thing that he was known for at the end of his life, and other writers wrote about this, and in 1 John he writes it frequently, is he would they would carry him into church when he was no longer able to walk. They'd carry him in on a pallet. He'd kind of raise himself up. <laughs> this is quite dramatic. <laughs> and he would say, children love one another. And then he just lay down. They haul him back out. <laughs> you think about what is the one message that the only, the last of the living apostles has for the church? Love one another. Love each other. Love each other, which means you can't do that solo. 
it assumes you're in relationship with mm-hmm. other people. And so uh, what we know of as lonely, in, in especially as we've gone through this isolation time, and some people are isolated with families, and there's a lot of jokes about that. But then there's people who are really isolated, like in an apartment alone or yeah. in a house alone. And we do know that loneliness and isolation can truly kill a person and can really um, be very destructive to the mental health, but also even the spiritual health emotional of a person health. and emotional health. Yeah. So then you end up with ways that people substitute other people with with substances and stuff mm-hmm. as a way to just cope with life yeah. in that way. So the health of the inner fellowship, the inner life of the church is so important, but it can be done even in a time of social isolation because we have technologies of writing a letter, which is what the apostle John did here to these people. And it's what Paul did. And we have, we have the electronic and digital communications ways. And I would say people need to really embrace that. It, just because somebody does something goofy on Facebook doesn't mean you stop connecting with people. Maybe you do need to stop letting that get to you, so just get off of that. But then use your other technologies to stay connected to the people that you are have been in relationship with. Mm-hmm. So, John puts it in family terms. He's using phrases like brothers, sisters, children mothers fathers these are the these are the things that we need to think of and people who are born again are children of god we all then are brothers and sisters these are basics but this is the best sense of community that we are doing things together and we've got to be able to do that and when we're doing that then we're protected from things like goofy teachers <laughs> you know called false teachers in the bible but these bizarre things that come up because we're connected with other people that are actually living real life with us in our environment. We don't need these goofy instructions. We just are able to avoid that. And so um, the intimacy and the connection that we have with each other is really the inoculation or the vaccine against false teachers. And I do, this coronavirus time, I have this sense that the isolation that people are experiencing is making them vulnerable to believe in things that if they were just with three other people, they wouldn't yeah. be so inclined to believe. Right. And especially if there are three other people that are believers in Christ and listening to God and just saying, you know, maybe that's true, but I don't think we need to worry about that. <laughs> maybe we just need to focus on what Jesus wants us to focus on. Loving God and loving each other. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to kind of just uh, wrap up this podcast uh, with just that thought, which is, uh, the community and the collectiveness of of the believers of Christ, one, it does, it's like an inoculation. It gives us a kind of the, the herd um, immunity to false teaching. Ah. That's a good... I like that. Yeah. And so I am going to be vulnerable if I'm isolated. I'm vulnerable to goofy thinking i'm vulnerable to someone presenting this explanation that if there were three other voices three other ears in the room three other people in the room they go okay let's think this through a little bit or even let's just pray about it you know maybe this person has got a good idea let's pray about it we do need to trust that by constant prayer with each other that jesus is going to be present with us 
that he's, his hand is going to be with us. And as long as we're focused on what he wants, which is loving others and loving God, then these other things will not be so powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've shared that a lot in these podcasts, but I think, you know, Sandy has mentioned again here, it's like, man, this whole love one another thing, um, that is what our herd immunity to false teaching is. It's what our herd immunity is to selfishness. Mm. It's what our herd immunity is to arrogance and hatred and despair. Yeah, despair. Uh, I just think that we need each other. So I would encourage everybody who happens to stumble into this podcast um, that we're still, even a month from now, we're still not going to be really out of the woods in the spiritual sense of what this 2020 has been for us. If you've not reached out to your fellow believers, and I'm talking, first of all, just your group of one, two, three, four people mm-hmm. that are your key people, reach out to them. Why are you not talking to them if you're, if you're not? And if you are talking to them and it's been a while, pick up that phone again or send that email or message or uh, the, the video things you know. <laughs> yeah i mean i don't i mean it's not like i'm being paid average yeah. zoom zoom um yeah polo marco polo i you know the thing is there's all the different platforms out there well, some Use people it. would be sitting there saying i don't have that they don't have a group of people that they're because they've isolated even before this yeah. time well then they need to call a church and of course i could advertise my church in this but you could Google that and find out what church I'm at. So just go ahead and do it. I literally, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and I don't want to break any confidences, but I had a phone call from a person who just had the courage to pick up the phone and call a church. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had a conversation that led them to consider, well, this is the next step that you could do to maybe get connected with a person. And I kind of, I talked to this person a little bit about, so what's been your experience so far? Because they were a believer that was really depressed and really feeling um, isolated uh, isolated, and, and a little panicky, a little anxiety about that. And so I was trying to help them to think through, so who am I connected with? And to encourage them to reach out to those people or to just take a step and reach into a new community. And I pledged to that person that if they, you know, because they could call me again and I'd help them get in connected with Somehow with, because we have at, at the church that I'm serving at, we have Zoom, like like open groups. It's like a Zoom Bible study that anybody can just find it on our website. They can jump in onto it nice. and they can just come in as a stranger. You know, that's better than sitting there and not connecting. Mm-hmm. And I know that people, you know, because I don't love Zoom. I mean, I get, I get screen fatigue with Zoom, but in the heart of it, I know that I'm connecting with people and it was, and even with people that I haven't even met before. Cause I've had that experience mm-hmm. in this number of months is that here's a person on this screen that I've never even met before. Well, I'm getting acquainted with them now and we are getting acquainted with each other in this safe environment of a church guided zoom meeting. So we know that, well, it's got a leader in it that can kind of maybe keep it safe you know, and not let people hurt each other and stuff like that. So anyway, I, I feel like I'm digressing a little, but it is, it's together as a group. That's what we can't give up. And it's not just simply because it's whatever social dynamics. It is the plan of Jesus to be in this together. So reach out to somebody that either is already in your circle or find a church to reach out to 
and take a chance and we'll be praying for you. If you have any questions, just email us at nogod at tonykafka.com. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D at T-O-N-Y-K-A-F-K-A dot com.